I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Today we got a, a bit of a special episode. On uh, January 6th, Sunday, we received the following email. Hi, would you be interested to hear about how to survive Aliyah, make it through the IDF as a lieutenant colonel, have the door slammed in your face, have people stand on your shoulders when you remove money from the cash machine and peek over your shoulder at the pharmacist to see what types of medication you use, and much more? Obviously, the answer to that was yes. <laughs> um, so we invited the sender of the email, Dr. Daniel Bedouin. No, it's a Baudouin. It's a French Baudouin. name. Baudouin. Baudouin. There was no chance I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> pronounce that right. But we invited Dr. Daniel Baudouin to join us today, uh, and we're super thrilled to have him and Thank hear you. it. So and hear your story. Yeah. So who did you did you stand on whose shoulders to to buy medicine? Far- what? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. Nobody stood. I I didn't stand on anybody's shoulders, but um, people. Yeah, you know. No one would survive that. Obviously. <laughs> I'm not sure. It sounds um, like you had basically the classic Aliyah experience, yeah, yeah, which it's is, just, uh, um, the, the, you know, the in, invading of privacy sort yeah. of thing, you know, um, uh, you're standing at the cash register and everybody is in line and, you know, yeah. you, sometimes you just tell the people, maybe I'll just give you my password and take the money out for me, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just if they're not close to you, they feel they're missing out on something. I mean, the other day it's in Super Farm when I was taking out my medication, you know, at a lady, they put this line to make sure that people, you know, have. Yeah, give you, you some need to space. pull number. Ah, there's the well, line. Not yeah. even, not even without without the number today. Ah, you no know, numbers. Well, they know. It's. At some they, pharmacies, they have it. Some pharmacies know me, so but yeah. the pharmacy ah, where I live okay. knows me, so I don't need a number. But there's a physical line. There's a physical line on the floor which says, "Please stand behind the line." Yeah. This line, it should indicate, right? Yeah. Good luck with that. And 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 then suddenly I feel something warm, you know, on my neck. And I look around, and there's this old lady coming to my shoulder, and she's sort of like, you know, leaning Standing against me. Standing over. And, you know, I said to her, do, on do a you, cold winter's day, that could be pleasant, even. No, but it's also if she would see the medication I'm taking. Yeah. You know, that would be very embarrassing. Right. <laughs> Depends on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Most medications, you know, yeah. I guess. I well, don't want when I'm buying my Viagra. Yeah. I don't want old ladies to, unless of course it's for them. <laughs> unless it's unless for you're the old into lady. her. Unless you're into old ladies, <laughs> yeah. and then you want her to see that. Yeah. So, so it, yeah. it is. That's my story. It's not your no, story. Not. Well, how do you know? I. I mean, I don't. <laughs> So it's it's not it's not easy, but from the short conversation we had leading up to the recording, I get the idea that you're not this like Israel hating kind of all negative uh, type. You, you it's like it's it sounds like you're afflicted with the common uh, Ole paradox, which is the culture here is rough to acclimate to, but then there's something about this place that you just can't give up? You know, um, when I, I immigrated to Israel in 83 from Vienna, uh, Vienna, Austria, and I remember just going into basic uh, training at the time, and I hardly knew Hebrew, you know, and I thought I was a real smart guy, and, and they, they asked us in the lineup, you know, who has a driver's license, and I said, I have a driver's license, and they said, great, so go peel the potatoes in the kitchen, 
you uh-huh. know. So that was the first time I understood that one has to be careful with what you say, okay? But regarding Israel in general, look, um, I, the, I, I couldn't have made a better uh, decision than, than coming to Israel. I mean, when I look at it, you know, in retrospective, um, I'm, I'm very, very pleased I came here. I, yeah. think, I think that what I gained is, is far more than the comforts, let's say, that I lost, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, I, I don't lack for, for much, right? So, I mean, everything's fine. Yeah. It's strange because throughout these years of, of fairly hard work, you know, um, I, I don't feel like it was a, a very difficult you experience. Know, yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, when I look back, there were difficult moments, but I never felt that it was too much or, or you know, doing officer school, for example, at the age of 27 is very unusual. Mm-hmm. And I was with kids uh, 21 years old, yeah. you know, and uh, physically that was a... Are you allowed to, to curse on this? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That, that was a real bitch. You yeah, know? it was. Yeah, there was there was a few people that were older with me in the army, and, and it was really rough on them. But it's not only just the physical aspect, it's mm-hmm. also you're far... You're further along mentally. Um, true, but I, I can tell you that... Um, the difficulties in the army um, even everything out. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your ethnic background is, what your sexual proclivity is. It does not matter. The army has this way of making everybody bond. Mm -hmm. And that is a remarkable experience. Of course, I'd be very happy if we didn't need an army, okay? And I just want to remind people that we still do. In case they forget, sometimes you know, yeah. um, our dear listeners. But um, the, the the what what we what I took away from the army as a colonel when I retired eight years ago is is is, is a world uh, without end, you know. Um, and building a home here, well. Uh, yeah, I don't know what can I say. You know, yeah. it was the right thing to in do. In the army, what did you do exactly? I was in the army army don't spokesperson. Yeah. <laughs> army spokesperson. I have to fidget with something. Army uh, spokesperson's uh, office for seven years uh, uh-huh. with the foreign correspondence desk. Um, you know, uh, speaking on behalf of the military, and I was for almost fifteen years. I was the liaison officer to the international aid community in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Wow! So, so I was the right hand man of a uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's yeah. a packed role. That 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 was uh, the go between the fixer, you know, between the Ministry of Defense and uh, ICRC, the UN. Yeah. So uh, you've seen some atros- atrocities. How do you say it? Atrocities. Atrocities yeah. in the territories during your service. Have you seen like? I don't know. No, atrocities I haven't seen. Okay. Uh, and I've seen... Violations. Um, like, you know... Cause or just it, poor conditions and shitty You're talking about bo- on both ends? No. Talking about Palestinian yeah. suffering or... Yeah. Okay. I can tell you I've seen, I've seen a lot of things. I also know that I have been also personally challenged in certain situations where I think I may have overstepped my uh, moral... How so? 
compass. Mm. For example, well, there, hmm. well, that's a bit. It's just a tough one uh, for me to come out with, okay. you know. So I, I, I think I'll give it a skip. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's nothing dramatic at all, but it, it is, it is something that reminded me of the fragility of being in uniform and. Having a kind of a, a monopoly on power. The, the fact that you're the sovereign in uniform, you know, uh, you have you have you have to be careful. Right. You have to be careful. That's why I also deal. I, I'll be taking over an organization that deals with military ethics soon uh, in Europe. Um, proportional, discriminant use of force, and the moral maturity that officers and soldiers need in the IDF in order to. Uh, have a moral compass in a very, very difficult situation. So, just a quick... I hope this doesn't sound too philosophical. No, 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 it's very interesting, you actually. Know, um, uh, th your job as the liaison was actually to oversee kind of the f like the funds from these organizations being passed to... Well, actually... To the um, pockets of the... <laughs> no, uh, my job was, you know, in the West Bank and the Gaza, you have dozens of international aid organizations um, help, you know, distributing aid to the Palestinians. Uh -huh. And um, the, the um, equation is very simple. For the aid agencies, what they are looking for is access, movement, and freedom of movement with no problems. You know, the military is saying, no, we need... To restrict movement, we need to restrict access because of security concerns. For them, for for everybody. Well, for the military, of course, and also for the international aid organization. Yeah. Because if if you're coming through a checkpoint at um, Jenin, let's say, you know, or Nablus, and the military knows that tomorrow there is going to be a, a looking for a wanted, or I call them terrorists, but you know, you'll find in newspapers wanted. You know, so. Yeah. Call it whatever you want. There will be an operation tomorrow, and uh, you can advise the UN that it's not a good time to distribute flour at exactly that point tomorrow. Maybe it's better to wait a few days. And then what you see sometimes is the cynical abuse of humanitarian aid, is that some organizations are part of the solution. They will come to you, and they will ask for your coordination and your assistance. Other organizations will not. And that sometimes leads to problems. They'll use it to publicize. Correct. Okay. I see. Publicize what? Like the fact that they're that the that Israel is violating human rights and restricting Correct. movement. Correct. Basically, Correct. they'll make a big storm out of like a press storm out of it. That is that is absolutely correct. I mean, and in the middle of this is the coordinator of government activities office, where I was the was uh, chief liaison officer to the international community in the West Bank and Gaza, so the World Bank. UN and others, and um, it, it was trying to balance that act to facilitate that really sensitive meeting point between security and, you know, the Palestinians' right and for a fabric of life that is decent and dignified. Achieving that balance is, is, um, is a, well, it's a nightmare. Okay, I love the job, all right, because... You need to get into a room with 22 people that each, you know, have a different view and try to co come out of the room with, you know, an agreement on, um, I don't know, um, bringing in, you know, 
before the disengagement from the Gaza Strip, for example, you know, how do you coordinate safe passages for the ambulances if there should be trouble? In military operations, how do you make sure, you know, that schools are not targeted, for example? Um, how do you make sure that there is access to the silos where the, f the wheat is, you know, and the food de um, depots are? All this has to be coordinated, and this was part of my job. So uh, regarding, let's say, schools not being targeted, uh, do you recall saying problematic things on the side of the Palestinians? Because we've heard, you know, lately how Palestinians have uh, uh, stored silo, missile silos and things like that under UN-sponsored uh, schools. And then, yeah. So was there any of that kind of stuff during your tenure? Uh, we had to deal with m many of these situations, um, especially in the Gaza Strip. Um, the greater problem is, is one of asymmetric warfare, is one of Israel, IDF in uniform, Hamas running around in pajamas with RPGs on their shoulders, often behind the civilian population. Okay, And that is a very difficult operational situation. What, 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 what do you do? The Americans have, you know, collateral damage, you know, but in what is easy for America to do, you know, or let's put it this way. Well, mm, I don't want to criticize any of it, but I'm saying that, let's put it this way. I, I, most, when it comes to Israel, the, the, uh, there's a magnifying glass, all right? And um, we think, and, and I hope I'm correct, you know, and I'm not just uh, brainwashed, you know, but I think from what I've seen and from my experience that Israel honestly does everything possible, you know, to, to um, lessen collateral damage. Mm -hmm. um, it, does it happen, work all the time? Well, no. It, does it happen most of the time? I think yes. Um, You're talking about the Gaza operations. I'm mainly. talking about the countless Gaza operations um, in response to rocket fire in Israel. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you asked about schools, right? I mean, initially, your original question. So yeah. what, what do you do, for example? You know, this is a, it's, it's an ethical question that we discuss a lot because it has a lot to do with international humanitarian law. But what do you do when someone fires out of a compound of the United Na uh, Nations Relief and Works Agency? Yeah. So do you hold your fire? Do you return fire? Yeah. Um, even if it's a kindergarten, what do you do? Um, so according to international law, you can do whatever the fuck you want, basically, I think. It's a war zone. So you, you right? I don't you're know. The, you're no, the specialist. I think, no, you're, 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 you've touched upon something. You know, first of all, not everything that is right is correct to do. Legal, you know, yeah. yeah, it's yes. legal. Not everything that is legally right, correct, yeah. is, is, is the right thing to do. But you're right, by the way. Uh, um, you, you are correct that even under the Fourth Geneva Convention, uh, um, Article, uh, uh, the Fourth Geneva Articles 2 and uh, 1, you are allowed to return fire when you are in the face of fire. Yeah. Right. But the IDF has its principles, right? There are 10 principles. And the uh, chief of the IDF, his job is to follow these principles. There's been a lot of debates recently um, in Israel about should the IDF be moral and how and wh how, who gave them the right to, to, to be moral. I mean, mor morality is the job of the politicians. The army needs to win battles, yeah. right? Yeah. So just for our listeners, what Noel mentioned is basically... Israel doesn't have a constitution, but the one thing that has 
resembles the most to a constitution isn't even the Declaration of Independence. It's something uh, uh, principles a, of the a document called Ruach Tzal, which is the principles of the IDF. And there's mm-hmm. ten points there, which includes you know any soldier has to abide, including the chief of staff. They all yeah. have to abide to that document. And some of the so it's what you you were in the army. Yeah. No, no, well, the um, the ten points really are. It's they're not mutually. Um, exclusive of international humanitarian law. Okay, so you've got the 10 points. They're an indication, a compass. Um, but the, the, the military works, accor- what you said about the politicians and morality, uh, it's, it, the truth is that also a soldier has to re- obey orders. He has to obey orders, and if he doesn't agree with an order, obey the order and then voices disagreement. Unless there's um, a black flag uh, uh, um, waving over the order. Right. Let's say you're driving a car and your boss, you're the chauffeur of the boss. The boss says, says to you, listen, we're going to be late for the meeting. Okay, uh, hurry up. You're driving too slowly. You know, the driver tells him, but I'm driving... Th- What's the, the, speed you know, the, the speed limit? He says, "The hell with the you know, fuck the speed limit. Uh, let's make it to this. Drive 120." The driver doesn't say anything. Should he? Yeah. No. I mean, it, yeah, th- there's no. He, at 150, is that a black flag? 160. Also is that depends a black on flag? where you're on the way What's to. What's the law? So, it, it's it's a question. There is a lot of discretion for the soldier. Yeah. But. You do hope that your children and that you educate your children, and I think a lot has to come from the, f- from the family. I mean, I have three children. One of them is, is, is serving in, in the military now. I have a daughter after the military. I have a 16-year-old that is running the house now and will be going to the military in another two years. Um, you know, my children go to the military. All I can hope, you know, is that they, they, they learn something from, from their experience in our house, mm-hmm. you know, where where you are supposed to reflect upon your actions to the best of your ability, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do also with upbringing, I think. It's worth mentioning that now every, every Friday there are riots in Gaza, in the Gaza border, and you have snipers uh, who try to, you know, counter, block the riots and uh, give some countermeasures. And it's interesting to note that for every bullet that the sniper sh- shoots, there's uh, a legal team that approves it. Uh-huh. And no, every bullet is documented and approved by a legal team in real time. Yeah, that doesn't stop the world from basically saying we're No, but I atrocious. see, I see are, are you a legal lawyer or something? No. No. No, but you're, you've, Just a hobby. you've got the information. Yeah. yeah. But I wanted to ask you, so mm. back to your service and, and your experience, um, apropos the Trump um, pulling the aid from UNRWA. How, what do you think about that? I wrote a couple of op-eds on that uh, lately. I don't know if you came across them. And uh, um, nothing will happen. Uh, UNRWA is there to stay. Um, UNRWA is too important. It's too important for the Palestinian cause to ever fail. So already there are indications that um, other Arab countries are stepping up and the European Union is stepping up to fill the void that Trump has left um, by withdrawing, I think it is $300 million 
um, from UNRWA. Um, UNRWA keeps the Palestinian issue alive. Um, you know, UNRWA is a very comfortable tool for the members and the UN, the, the representatives of UNRWA and the UN to lambast and name and shame Israel for um, uh, creating unnecessary checkpoints and unnecessary difficulties to staff, to the medical teams in moving around more free, uh, freely. So, But if we go back to the issue of morality, and you said you wrote an op-ed, what is, what's your, in your eyes, was it a, was it a, a, a wise decision? Maybe UNRWA, you know, it's an, it's an uphill battle, or even it's an impossible win. Hmm. But is it, is it the right thing Direction. to do? Are they a? Are they a? Are they I don't know, enemy? I wouldn't say are fraudulent, but morally fraudulent organization, or are they doing actual good? It, it's it's these are very. Let, let's put it this way: the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are having a very very difficult time. Okay, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. All right. On the one hand, they have the Hamas, a fundamentalist. Um, Iran-backed, Hezbollah-backed uh, proxy terror organization. There's fear in the population from there's fear in the pro in the population from of um, of protest. You know, you don't just get up one morning in in the Gaza Strip and protest. And it's not Tel Aviv, it's not Israel. You know. Um, so it's it's. Uh, it's 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 remarkably difficult for them uh, uh, to to find uh, you know a way out of a way out of a mess that they are in yeah. the Gazans. Um, they put themselves in that mess. They, well, they 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 are. the The question is really when you talk about humanitarian aid is, and you mentioned that is, are the beneficiaries or the Palestinians really receiving the aid they deserve? And for how long will you do that? And, and for, what's and, the and end for, goal? What's the end goal? Well, there is a with specifically with UNRWA, we have a, a definitional problem of what is a refugee, mm -hmm. because for you know um, their definition of refugee is not the same as the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, another organization that deals with refugees all over the world. So why do we have only, you know, why do we have a special? refugee organization dealing with um, with the Palestinians. It poses an interesting question. Um, why is the definition that UNRWA uses unlike the definition internationally um, accepted worldwide? And why does that definition allow generation upon generation upon generation of refugee to be created even if they're living in New York or LA? It's basically like a self-sustaining problem. Yes, it's, it's yeah. defining the problem in a way that self-sustains itself. So it's like we're gonna yes, we're gonna cause this problem to keep going. It reminds me a little bit <laughs> about uh, in Israel. There's the poverty discussion, and one of the claims is is that the poverty pays great salaries for hundreds and maybe mm -hmm. thousands of people. So I wonder how many Europeans. Um, live from the Palestinian issue, like make a living out of it, and wouldn't want that to end because then they would be jobless. Like the whole European Union bureaucracy, for example, you know. Um, what do you mean? Well, it's it's it's. I think you're hinting at the organizational. I don't. 
was part of my PhD. I, I'm, I'm identifying the organizational reasons, for example, you know, no organization wants to work itself out of business, right? So yeah. it's not unlike UNRWA, right? I mean, it's not, they didn't invent it, right? Or the other UN organizations didn't invent it. But Humanitarian aid organizations do a lot of good work, you know, and they help a lot of people all over the world. Um, I think um, what has happened is that many nations have simply outsourced the dealing with suffering to NGOs and other organizations. So instead of doing it themselves, they're very happy that there are organizations that do the work themselves. Because it's a messy... It's a, it's a messy business. And, and it's true, for example, that, I mean, if you really want to be uh, um, um, from organizational theory, really cynical, you know, you can say, well, if I were operations manager in UNRWA and I'd be making around $140,000, $150,000 a year, with um, fantastic benefits, you know, why would I want that to ever go away, okay? But I think that's just, it's, it's a, sm a small petty way of looking at it. Um, in it, it should be looked at strategically that you have a problem with perpetuating a conflict through humanitarian aid. And what happens is that People will not trust humanitarian aid if they identify it with being political and biased and impartial. So beneficiaries somewhere else will not receive their aid because nobody's going to work with the aid provider out of distrust. Maybe they will also name and shame us. The only organization that does not name and shame is the International Committee for the Red Cross. They practice discrete diplomacy they will meet you they will tell you what they have to say with no one you know they'll let you have it but nothing ever gets leaked and the result is that most of the countries in the world including israel find it easier to work with an organization which does not come and immediately allot the blame to you you know mm -hmm. so there, there there are benefits in being discreet as the ICRC is, and not political and loud and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, flamboyantly aggressive, you know. Fascinating. <laughs> no, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's getting a bit heavy, no? I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it's getting it's exactly. a bit heavy, this business, no? I mean. <laughs> and, uh, but, so you made Aliyah. Which That's doors sl were slammed in your face, by the Ooh. way? Sorry, I gotta excuse me for a sec. I'm sorry, it's just the the nose. Guys, I'm sick. You should <laughs> stay away from the white stuff, that. man, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. so what what uh what doors were slammed in your face? No, I'm just talking about, you know, when you open the door for a lady in Israel. Oh, literally doors were slammed. And and many times I won't say even thank you, you know, or or, mm. or when you go through a door you get the door slammed in your face because nobody ever looks across the shoulder to see if you're coming through the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, you know, I've been in the country from nineteen eighty three. How many years does that? I don't know. Let's it's a long time. Better there, not to count. It's a, and um I can't get used to it. Really? I simply can't I can't get used to it. <laughs> there's some things I simply can't get used to, you know. And this makes me crazy every time. Right? What else? What else makes me crazy? In Hebrew, you say, Anitzarich. Yeah, 
I need. I need. Or mm, I I want. Yeah. So you go into a restaurant and you say I Or tavili. Get, get or, me. Or, or tavili. G- get me or bring me. Yeah. And this is okay, I think, in Israel, amongst Israelis. I don't think anybody gets offended, by the way. They couldn't give a shit, you know? Yeah. When I translate that, I cringe. <laughs> I cringe in restaurants still. I say, what do you mean? Bring me. Tell me, what are you? Uh, you know, what's wrong with you, man? You know, like, so what do you say? I said, Efshal bevakasha. Ani mevakesh. And I can assure you my children say the same thing. I mean, you know, come on, some civil behavior. Yeah. I think we've lost a lot of that in Israel. Um, civility is not our strong point. I mean... Uh, no, I think that... Uh, I think that there's... There's a certain, like, existential state here that doesn't allow for people to give a shit about, you know, day-to-day why, civility. Why? Why, does, why does our um, difficulties... Why should they impact saying thank you or please? I, I really, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't see why. I, you know, I don't see why, why it's, why should that prevent uh, um, someone keeping the door open for me when I, think I go through? You know, I the, mean, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the epi- it's the, it's the pathology of a survivor. It's like you get what I'm saying. Like, but it wasn't we like are that in survivors the 60s, in the 50s. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around in the 50s or 60s, but mm. I can't feel. I feel yeah, like this couldn't have come from nowhere. And I feel like Jews have been surviving for centuries, and that's yeah. kind of forged us into these. I, I think we're a neurotic nation. I mean, I yeah, mean, for sure. After I don't know how much seven, eight wars and three thousand years of persecution, I don't know how many pogroms. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, you just need to look at the map, you know, and 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 and, <laughs> and first of all, if you can find Israel on the map, and then you look at you look at the neighborhood. I mean, yeah. you don't have to be a Harvard graduate to understand it's a shitty neighborhood, you know. Uh, so I mean, that's enough to put you into. You're right to put you into some sort of mental distress, right? I mean, where's the value? Right, that's yeah. the first. I mean, yeah. Give me the Prozac, but um, so that's what you stood in line for in the pharmacy. <laughs> good. <laughs> no, brings us good. Back to I that. mean, I mean, you know, you're good. On point. I, I'm an optimist, though, as opposed to no. I mean, I don't know what yeah. it was like in the 50s or 60s, but yeah. I have a feeling that because it derives from that neuroses that has been thousands of years in the making, that now that we have a nation. And as we feel more and more and more and more secure, then that'll, it'll slowly shed itself and we'll become a more civil people. I hope. I, I, I hope so too. I, I think that we have a lot of work. Yeah. We have our work <laughs> cut out for us, you know. Um, I, I sometimes am a little bit angry at uh, Theodore Herzl, you know, uh, because yeah. in, instead of sending us to this... Um, you know, godforsaken neighborhood, you should have, I don't know, find some Jewish relic in Texas, you know, or, 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 or re- you know, remains of the second temple in, I don't know where, North Carolina. 
Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. What it would made a paradise Ooh, from it. No problem. That's awful. Nova Scotia. Yeah. North Carolina sounds good. No, Nova but, Scotia. But but it's better. It's better than here. Believe me. Yeah. And 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 send us over there, and I tell you, we'll make we'll make good things happen. You know, I mean. I don't know, man. I don't think I'd survive two days in Nova Scotia. It's that bad. There's that. like four days of rain here, and listen to me. <laughs> But you you are happy about you said earlier uh, maybe before we started recording that you love your life here yes, and I do. Uh, that life here is amazing and stuff like that. Okay. But you know uh, I've been having conversations with Israelis who work in Silicon Valley, and their life is significantly better. They're way happier and more satisfied than uh, people than they were here. Um, and life, it seems that in other places, it's the little things, okay? Like, if you go to Italy, yeah, our life are amazing. You know, we make ends meet. The economy is booming. That's great. But in the end of the day, maybe it's not enough because uh, even I just saw a video about a supermarket in China. And I was so envious because they're light years ahead of us with technology, with you know how life is just easier with innovation everywhere and we are in in many aspects we're a third world country <laughs> and that and today when you can't take your things and go someplace else you the question mm -hmm. that's what Ethan said earlier that i'm the pessimist the question you get a dosage of it yeah but <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Though? No, I know, I know. So completely. why, why yes, you I came do. from Austria? Yeah. Why not Austria? I tell you, I have, I have a very good friend uh, in in Kvalkish where I live, and we had this argument. One of the one of the people in Kvalkish, um, a young man, you know, is leaving with his wife to Tasmania. Tasmania okay. is you know southwest of Australia. Australia. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Another hundred miles. Take a right. Another hundred miles. You know, yeah. yeah, and he can't get over it. I said, you know, David is his name. I said, David, what's the problem? He said, why did he leave everything? Why did he? You know, he he's abhorred that he should have left Israel. You know, I said to David, Azma, so what? So he wants to leave Israel. What did he sign up for Israel for the rest of his life? I think not. I think there's room for everyone. There are people that. Why is there a brain drain from Israel? Why are people? You know, um, um, I know two people at Stanford right now doing their postdoctorates and doing their research at Stanford. Why? You know, because they earn four times as much as they would here and they have a lab that in your wet dreams you can't imagine having a Tel Aviv University. So why shouldn't they go? Okay. The question is, do they come back? Does it matter? Don't know. It's not as if we have an exodus of people coming out of Israel, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we do. We in the do. academic, no, but it may the seem no, but academic exactly. and technology and, and high tech. But I think mm. it, it. Okay, I think in, in in we're talking now within our circles. I yeah. think we we hear a lot about this, but most people stay in Israel. Okay, but you're right. The high tech people, my son, for example. You know, he's he 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 asked. He's asking himself a question now. Should I go with my Amer American girlfriend or, or whatever to the States? Um, he has a, 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 he's a software engineer from the Technion and he has an MBA from Recanati uh, and make a fortune. Or should I stay here and make a fortune? 
but less no, of a fortune. No, but, less of a fortune. But fortune. What, what I'm saying, <laughs> fortune. It's it's not a question of money. It's not even a question of comfort. I understand exactly what you're saying. Believe me, I've been to the states on you know on speaking engagements, on tours, on for work, for 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 fun. Um, I've been. I grew up in Europe. I know what comfort means. I mean, yeah. It's it's really you have to be there in order to understand how comfortable America is. For yeah. example, I mean, it 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 is. It's un- it's unbelievable. I just had this discussion with a friend who came Effie. He came from Silicon Valley, and he told us uh, the thing that bothers him the most is the culture of the water boiler here. Because here, all your day to day life revolves around. The water boiler, which you need to manually um, replace re- you manually no, turn, turn it on the water uh, to heat the water. whereas he told me in my home, I have hot water all the time. How come? I don't know. I just do. I never ask. <laughs> I mean, somewhere there's a gazillion uh, a bowl with gazillion liters of water uh, of hot water, and they keep. getting yeah. warm and yeah. here all your life did you turn it on do you turn it off i want to take a shower in the morning so i'll ter- turn it on so that's a and little you'll pay twice as much in the winter because there's no sun and you have to actually turn on your electric water boiler right yeah so in his place like in america in the silicon valley at least you don't think about it but i'd like to tell i'd like i'd like to tell you something um um because i i'm quite a lot in vienna also okay um and i i you know i grew up there so i miss it right yeah I can tell you something though this is the country for people that are a little bit border psychotic okay <laughs> so so for example Israel is a place where you can be angry and happy in within 30 seconds uh-huh. where someone will give you their car if you need to go somewhere because why not or take the keys to my house you know if you need to You need it but won't stop for an ambulance to pass mm, I don't see that happen a lot really I don't see that they will cut you in the highway though look I've never seen anybody stop for an ambulance seriously yeah in, um, I mean in the states it's like I'm talking like they'll move aside if they're still but if you're on a moving highway mm-hmm. and you hear an ambulance you stop on the shoulders really yeah You don't just move aside, you no stop. Sh- uh, but our roads are just so crappy, there are no shoulders, man. You know, <laughs> well, so you, part you, of the problem. You were saying? No, so I'm saying, so, so what, what this country... About Vienna. Yeah, what, uh, Vie- what this country allows is you to be real. You're allowed to be angry. I think in the States many times, you know what I noticed? Is that there's this fear of pissing people off, you know? So what do you talk about in America about the weather about NFL I mean right. you need to be very careful you have nowadays. to be so careful you know you have to be so careful it's not different in Vienna you know you need to be very careful not to piss people off or to say a joke that may be misinterpreted or to you know this doesn't exist in Israel in, in, in for better or for worse mm-hmm. okay because I complained about lack of civility but on the other hand you know you There's a lot of freedom to be to be a little bit you know original and crazy mm-hmm. and, and and to 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 joke with someone on the bus you know if you try to joke with someone in 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 Vienna they'll put you in a camp they'll and they, gas you oh God. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a, that's a good no, he, I told you he's a he's, pessimist he's no but I think you should 
you you should restart the medication <laughs> I, I don't know I'm high on life man. dude no but you know it, but yeah but this is this is the friends we have and right. and, and, and my and my family and 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 the the, the 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 life that is full you know of 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 madness and happiness and anger and frustration and you know for the first time in my life I feel ever since I came here that I can call a place home right um and that's a lot a lot for me and that my children were born here very important for me and that when they are asked where you know where are you from they'll say israel they won't say i'm from vienna i when i was in vienna i'm my father's french my mother's israeli i was born in the belgian congo i lived in pakistan for a couple of years and we went to vienna thank god they're not from pakistan you kids <laughs> no. no but we lived well in pakistan don't worry and uh you know they can say well i'm from israel and it's worth the risk the risks this uh, no no answer to this this question. is uh is it yeah. worth the risks this is a difficult question yeah because i, I it, it it puts it it puts me in trepidation just the thought of it right i mean i, I get I know people that you know that with their children in in combat units and stuff don't sleep at night you know yeah yeah what kind of a life is that so I can understand why someone would want to go live in Berlin I really do you know I I, I don't I don't judge on that thing I really don't judge I I, I I you know it's really not for me to say you know and and but how do you feel about you're talking specifically about Jews who go and move abroad? Yeah, you Israelis. don't have any criticism. Israelis, yeah. And then how do you feel about when they Israelis or even even maybe Americans who move here and then move back or or but how do you feel about them criticizing Israel's political situation or policies? <laughs> right. You don't feel <laughs> very okay. positively. Enough, enough uh, said. Okay, enough said. So, um, Daniel, what can we plug? You, you give talks, right? I do. I, I, I teach, and I, I also speak on topics I mentioned during, uh, you know, our conversation on helping communities deal with the anti-Israel bias. You know, um, briefings. Um, I, I was with APAC in the States. I was on the Hill, you know, uh, years ago. So, yes, just explaining to people or giving people tools, you know, in communities to understand what is happening on the ground without it being... And, and, and I, am, I am not a, a propagandist. I, I have seen the bad things. I've seen the good things. And I can talk about both. But I also know um, where we can proudly represent who we are and we don't need to be afraid not of berkeley campuses and not of anything um and and uh you know so i i think it's important that people are exposed to that polemic to that discussion uh in an in a, in, in a sort of a balanced way but that they get some food for thought and some some tools on how to deal with the with the incessant criticism that israel is facing and uh, that's one of the things that I do. 
So people can get in touch with you on Facebook, through email. Correct. And you have a website? I'm working on it right now. Okay, so... So I will give... I'll, yeah, so I'm working on it right now. Either if it's ready by the time this episode goes up, then we'll put a link. And if not, then we'll maybe leave it in the comments. Great. Um, but if you guys want, search Daniel B- Bedouin. Baudouin. Baudouin. B-E-A-U-D-O-I-N. Yeah. And so highly recommended, obviously. Incredible <laughs> life story. You you lecture at Tel Aviv University. I do, correct. Um, so uh, search for him. Get in touch with him uh, if you guys are interested. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for having me. It's a great pr- Thank you very Such much. Such a pleasure. So before we go, we have a collaboration. Eitan, I'm sparing you because you're sick. Thank you're you. You're dying. Uh, we have a collaboration <laughs> with the Jewish Journal, jewishjournal.com. Check them out. They're amazing. Great news source, content, podcasts. They're great. So go and check them out. And we accept donations, guys. So, <laughs> so do I. So, do I. so uh, <laughs> okay. Well, Everybody accepts donations. Yeah, nowadays. Uh, we accept donations. We're not an NGO, though. Uh, so uh, if you feel like helping us out, we're doing it on our free time. Go to 2NJB.com slash donate. And I just want to say we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And we also post these episodes uh, with video on our Facebook page. And so we're on Spotify and everywhere podcasts are. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. And we need iTunes reviews, guys. So if you reached as far as now in the episode, please go to iTunes if you have an iPhone and give us a five-star rating and write that we're awesome and amazing. <laughs> You can write that we suck, just as long as you give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> write whatever you Who want. Who gives a shit, right? Yeah, just their, as long as... language parsing isn't good enough to understand. Uh, also, state who's your favorite, Eitan or myself. Uh, <laughs> so... Wow, man. That's harsh. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye, guys.